Welcome to The Lowdown, a podcast of news and ideas from the Columbia Alumni Association. Last year, Kristen Myers gave a lecture to Columbia alumni returning to campus for reunion. Myers is an associate professor of mechanical engineering at the Columbia School of Engineering and Applied Sciences, and her talk offered an engineering perspective on why women give birth preterm. Specifically, she explored the biomechanics of pregnancy and how engineers work with clinicians to try to understand why some women give birth before term and how we can stop it. You're about to hear some excerpts from her talk. Now, if you're still thinking, what is preterm birth and what does biomechanics have to do with it? Don't worry, you're about to find out. So why preterm birth? What's the clinical motivation? Um, This is something that's near and dear to my heart. Most recently, I gave birth to a baby girl six months ago. (laughs) So, um, So now I can, you know, I started this research when I was a doctoral student at MIT and I was in my 20s, wasn't really thinking about getting pregnant myself, thought this was kind of cool. I was coming from automotive engineering. I grew up in Detroit, worked at General Motors, headed out to Boston, wanted to do something different. I said, oh, biomechanics, sure, you know, that sounds great. I studied uh, large deformation of elastomers and tires at University of Michigan. And then when I went to MIT, they're like, well, you can use the same framework that you use to understand the structure of materials um, in cars and you could to understand the human body. And I started working with a woman named Simona Socrates, and she was my doctoral advisor. She says, hey, I just linked up with an OBGYN. He's a maternal fetal medicine specialist. He has a background in physics, and he thinks that a lot of his patients coming in that are at risk for preterm birth, he thinks there's a mechanical reason why their uterus and their cervix, which is located at the end of the uterus, is opening up too soon and too fast. So what's preterm birth? Preterm birth is birth before 37 weeks of gestation. Um, it, is a, it, it exacts heavy emotional and societal costs. Um, one in nine babies are born premature. That's a statistics from the World Health Organization from 2014. Now that's a statistics that one in nine births here in the United States actually are preterm. We have a very high preterm birth rate in the United States. Um, for a developed country, that, uh, that's not very good. Um, so 15 million babies a year worldwide are born preterm. Preterm birth is the number one cause of neonatal death. Um, and then the reasons, you know, the preemies that do survive and they go to the NICU, you can understand that that costs a lot of money. It's very, very taxing on the new parents. I can understand my, you know, understand that as well. You know, in your postpartum state, you have a little baby going to the NICU. I can't even imagine. My daughter was healthy, but I couldn't imagine her going to the NICU. So the preemies that do survive um, often will face, you know, pediatric complications, um, lifelong, maybe cardiac disease, um, vision learning, um, and actually one of the most more, more proud moments of my life is when I took my daughter into the pedi- pediatrician and she saw an article on me in Columbia Medicine and she said, "Hey, I recognize you. You're the engineer that studies preterm birth." And I said, "Oh, yes, I am. You know, as you know." being my, you know, uh, the new mom. And she says, you know, if you can solve preterm birth, it will make my job a lot easier. And that was one of the prouder moments of my life, um, apart from having my daughter. (laughs) There are multiple causes of preterm birth. 
Um, we're going to focus on some mechanical reasons. One of the top reasons is called cervical insufficiency. Cervical insufficiency is when the cervix remodels too fast and too soon. It's just not strong enough to stay closed, and what happens is, is that it, it, it dilates prematurely. This often happens in the mid-second trimester to early third trimester. These are really preterm births. So if you have a friend or if you know a woman who, had to, who have had to go on to bed rest, this could have been a reason. So they said, okay, let's relieve the gravity load on the cervix. Let's put her to bed rest. But they just don't know how to stop it. The doctors do not know how to stop it. They don't know how to diagnose it. And a woman will do anything to save her baby. Uh, there could be fetal signals, perhaps, that it could cause a preterm birth. I have here stretch. Stretch means perhaps the uterus is stretching too much. The doctors always say you might have uterine overdistension. So if you have twins, triplets, or there's too much amniotic fluid, you can have uterine overdistension, which would cause an onset of early labor. Uh, so you have early contractions. Oftentimes women in mid-pregnancy will have uncoordinated, they call those the Braxton Hitz contractions. But perhaps if they start becoming more coordinated, that can set off preterm labor. And we think that happens because of mechanical signals. Um, and then, of course, uh, exogenous factors such as stress, infection, genetics. There is a whole host of reasons why women will have preterm birth. We think that these different phenotypes are definitely related and they're overlapping. We just don't know how to untangle it and study what actually happens in preterm birth. So in engineering, we like to think, okay, what are the different components that make up the structure to protect the fetus? Okay, so we want to understand what is the mechanical environment of pregnancy. So me as a mechanical engineer, I understand how strong materials are, how they stay closed under, under external mechanical loading. Okay, so let's focus on cervical remodeling in pregnancy. So how does the cervix actually stay shut during pregnancy? Okay. So the doctors, they don't have a tool to actually go in and look to see how much load is pushing on the cervix. So how could they tell if somebody's going to be at risk for preterm birth? They simply don't know. So this is a problem in obstetrics. Let's say you're a new mom, okay, so you don't know if you have a history of preterm birth. You go in for your first trimester clinical screen. Every woman is treated the same evenly, okay? They do an ultrasound scan, they look around for structures, okay, and then they just send you off, all right? One of the tools the doctors do have to sort of tip them, tip them off that something could be wrong is what they do is they, they, in the ultrasound exam, so this is an ultrasound, here's the fetus head, here's the cervix, what they do is they measure the cervical length here. And if you have something called a short cervix, something that's below 25 millimeters, they can look at this empirical chart and say, okay, if you're below 25 millimeters, 25 millimeters you could be at risk for spontaneous preterm birth. The problem is, by the time you reach this short cervix, you're most likely already going to have this preterm birth, okay? So how can we predict this, all right? So once they see that you have a short cervix, they can do a number of different things. They can put you at bed rest, okay? They can surgically stitch your cervix, cervix closed, or they can put a silicon diaphragm in the vaginal canal, and that is called a pessary device. This pessary device is extremely popular right now. It's very current. Actually, about a month ago in the New England Journal of Medicine, there was a huge clinical trial to see if this pessary device works, um, and it said that it did not. Uh, but a lot of people in the United States think that this is a very promising biomedical device. But as an engineer, I was like, okay, well, where is the computer model to show that this 
this device actually relieves the load on the cervix. Well, none doesn't, they don't exist. What they're doing is they're just throwing them in patients and seeing if they work and spending a lot of money on these clinical trials. Okay. So what often happens is, is empirically introducing treatments to arrest cervical shortening are oftentimes ineffective, could be detrimental and costly. All right. So my research objective as a mechanical engineer is I want a personalized assessment of what the mechanical <coughs> environment of pregnancy. Okay. I want a better clinical way or clinical tool to visualize the mechanical loads on the cervix so we can have better ways to prevent preterm birth. Okay? So our research questions are, what is the mechanical strength of the cervix? What makes the cervix strong? And for women who are going to go to preterm birth, what is it in their cervix that makes it too soft? And can we identify that sooner in pregnancy? Okay. What are the external mechanical loads on the cervix? We understand that there's gravity, but also as you can imagine if you're blowing up a balloon, is that the balloon holds tension within the walls and that tension is gonna be pulling on the cervix as if you're like pulling on a turtleneck, okay? You're trying to open it, so there's also that tension we need to pay attention to, okay? What triggers tissue remodeling in pregnancy? And can we identify appropriate biomarkers for the mechanical integrity of the tissue supporting the fetus. Okay, so as you can ex um, expect, that this this is a very multidisciplinary problem. So the team we have here at Columbia involves me in mechanical engineering and two maternal fetal medicine specialists uptown at the Columbia Medical Center, Dr. Joy Vink and Dr. Ronald Wapner. We're joined by other people here. Um, I, I work with Christine Hendon in electrical engineering to help visualize the tissue structure. I work with uh, the Biomarkers Core Lab and other people at Columbia Medical Center. Um, we're also an international team. Uh, we're working with uh, engineers at ETH Zurich looking at in vivo tools to assess the mechanical properties of the cervix. And we're also working with people at Cornell in Tufts. Okay, so in my lab, what are the toolkits that I use in my lab? So my lab, we specialize in characterizing um, soft materials. So we do material characterizations of the uterus and cervix in my laboratory. Okay. Um, we also want to understand the chemistry that causes tissue remodeling. And in pregnancy, that's often related to hormone chemistry. So we do a little bit of hormone chemistry in my laboratory. Um, and then we also specialize in these 3D computer models of pregnancy. These are called finite element simulations, and I'm going to focus the rest of my talk on these computer simulations of pregnancy. Okay? So what's a, what's a computer model of pregnancy? So when I say computer model or finite element model, what I mean is it's a computer simulation, okay, which inputs maternal anatomy, so I can get that from an MRI scan or an ultrasound. It also inputs the characteristics of the tissue, Okay, so we integrated it, so we discretize the, the geometry, then we inform the geometry of how strong the material is, and then what I do is I simulate the mechanical load, so I simulate the growing baby, gravity, and then what I can generate is this heat map. Okay, I can generate the heat map of the, of the tissue stretch and stress, and I can then calculate what are the reaction forces in all the tissues, and then I can answer, is this tissue going to fail because my reaction force is too strong or too much? Um, and is my tissue going to deform or stretch? So is my cervix going to dilate, basically, given these loads? Okay? So that's what I can do with the computer simulation. This is the type of tool that the clinicians need. So they, we can input anatomy and tissue strength, and we can evaluate for this situation, is the cervix going to open? 
And that's really our ultimate goal. So what is a cervix made out of? The cervix is a really neat composite material, okay? It has a hierarchical structure. So this composite material is made out of fibers. A discovery we had recently last year with Professor Hendon in electrical engineering is if we think of the cervix as a cylindrical structure, like I said, it has these fibers that circle around the inner canal. I, I was able to give tissue slices over to Christine here. She was able to visualize the structure using light. So this is called a technique called optical coherence tomography. I was able to get non-pregnant tissue and pregnant tissue. This is tissue from women who have to have a um, hysterectomy at time of cesarean section for other reasons, but the baby's completely safe, thankfully. So that's where we get these tissues from. And so it's great to actually visualize the composite structure of the cervix for the first time. And this is the type of information now I can inform my computer model of. And so I take all that information, and what we do is, is we need a mathematical expression, okay, given what the tissue is made out of, okay, we need this mathematical expression to then say, okay, when I pull on it, how much is it going to pull back? And that's what this mathematical expression is saying. And so I, I made a mathematical expression for non-pregnant tissue and pregnant tissue, and what I found was is that non-pregnant cervical tissue is very, very strong, which it has to be, and then during pregnancy, by the time we reach, you know, 39 weeks of gestation, that tissue softens by four orders of magnitude, which is incredible for a material. Now, if I wanted to engineer a material to do that, that is a very difficult task, and the body already does it naturally, which is amazing. Let's talk about maternal anatomy. How do we get maternal anatomy? Um, so... Back in the day, so a couple years ago, we started taking MRI images of pregnant patients. So what we did is we took an ultrasound scan of somebody at 22 weeks of gestation, my student Michael did, and what we did is we segmented out the geometry from the 2D MRI image stats. Okay, so now we have this geometric rendering of the maternal anatomy, and now in our simulations we can apply the pressures of the amniotic sac, etc., and then we can then model but before that, we have to, again, desperatize our anatomy. We call these finite elements. So we put nodes along the geometry so that when we're pushing on it, we can follow the nodes and figure out where they're going. Okay? So now what's going to happen is now I apply a load to the um, inner part of the amniotic sac. So that's IUP is intrauterine pressure. Okay? Now I don't, I don't have a measurement of intrauterine pressure because that requires breaking the bag and that's something you don't want to do because that can also cause preterm birth. So they, had, they measured a, what they call a baseline uterine tone and they also measured the pressure of a contraction and, a, and pressure of pushing, so we simulated those. The pressurization results in organized okay, circumferential tension looping around here so it makes sense that there's fibers there. So the highest mechanical loads in the cervix are at the internal os, which is the top of the cervix, okay? And they're located in the anterior and the posterior sections, okay? These anatomical features then determine the location of these hotspots. So now you can imagine these hotspots are going to be different for different women, okay? Now let's simulate the fact that my fibers are going to start to remodel. What happens? So reducing collagen stiffness in the cervix reduces its load-carrying capability and increases cervical deformation and stretch. So let's say I had a fiber that had a stiffness of 0.2 MPA, and then let's say I just simulate what happens with remodeling. You can see that now my cervix is starting to, to uh, give under the load. Now we want to 
to understand how the uterus, the fetal membrane, and the cervix all share the load. So what we did in this simulation is we reduced the stiffness of the fetal membrane, okay? And what we found was is when we reduced the stiffness of the fetal membrane, and also if we uh, removed the contact between the membrane and the uterus, what happens is a whole bunch of mechanical load then got dumped onto the cervix, okay? And clinicians appreciate this fact because to induce labor, what they do is they strip the membranes. And what happens is, is a clinician will take their finger and then pull up the membrane and detach it from the uterine wall. And in essence, what they're doing is they're actually placing the mechanical load on the cervix to get it going, to induce labor. Um, we also asked ourselves, what happens if a woman, if her collagen fiber network um, was misaligned somehow, and we showed that it actually influences how much load is placed on the cervix again, okay? So now you can get an idea with these computer tools, we can then say, we can ask, we could do what if scenarios. So what if a woman's cervix is too short or if it's angled, you know, in a weird direction, or if her cervix is intrinsically too soft, okay? So that's what these computer tools are helpful for, okay? But you can imagine that MRI, you know, I'm not going to MRI every patient. There's no way, okay? It's time-consuming. It's scary. It's costly. It's not clinically, clinically viable. So I asked my team last summer, I was like, okay, we can't, we're not going to do MRI on patients, but we want to scan a whole bunch of moms. Well, moms are getting um, ultrasound scans anyway. So is there some way that we can pull information from the ultrasound and build one of these computer models. I mean, we're, this is the engineering task. This is, this is something that we're trained to do, you know, even in undergraduates. Like, I, I teach a class in computer graphics. And there you go, here's a computer graphic, a simplified version of a pregnant abdomen. So what we did was, what we did is we built an ultrasound-based computer simulation to evaluate the mechanical environment of pregnancy. Again, this model includes the uterus, the cervix, the fetal membrane. Uh, we included a representation of the vaginal canal, and we can also simulate different biomedical devices now. So this is where we can step in and help the clinical community understand, do these biomedical devices actually work? Do they actually help? Do you need to be spending all of this money on these huge clinical trials to understand if this tool is going to work? I, again, I, I don't understand how they just did not do a computer simulation beforehand before they launched into these huge randomized clinical trials. Here at Columbia, it's a standard of care that you get a fetal anatomy scan, so they, they drag the ultrasound probe over your belly, and they measure the length of the fetus arms and stuff. And I said, well, why don't you just grab maternal anatomy while you're doing that? You know, it's only an extra 10 minutes for the patient. If you have a cervix that's made out of steel, it really doesn't matter. But if you have a cervix that's already soft and it's short, you're in trouble, okay? And that's what the clinicians need to know. Okay, now what about this angle thing? There's this big theory or hypothesis floating around clinical world that if your angle is somewhat tilted off, okay, so that what the pessary device actually does, it goes in and it tilts the cervix away from the mechanical load. But I say, well, not really, because now with my simulation, I can simulate that tilting motion, and as I tilt the cervix back, as you can see, I'm increasing the load on the cervix, okay? Which is funny because the an initial design intent for that silicon diaphragm was to angle the cervix away from the mechanical load. Again, this silicon diaphragm device is something that's really popular in clinical practice right now. Um, so we wanted to ask the model, okay, so if we put this device in, what is it actually doing to the cervix? And that's exactly what we did. So 
I showed you a lot of different scenarios. I showed you this computational tool that we developed as engineers. So you know, we're, we're acting like structural engineers, material engineers. But really the take home mes message is, is that we need to approach medicine with this more personalized view of what's going on. We need to understand maternal anatomy better. Um, we also, you know, need to involve engineers and, you know, to ask these questions and to come up with these simulation tools. So a tool like this can better help identify if you're going to be at risk for preterm birth and can perhaps maybe better design a personalized device that could, you know, keep the cervix closed better instead of these off-the-shelf devices, okay? So we found in our research using these computer models is that the asymmetry of the anatomy and the placement of the cervix within the pelvis plays a key role in determining the mechanical environment. That load sharing happens between the fetal membrane, cervix, and uterus. So these are all very important structures to keep healthy during pregnancy. And we know that the adhesion of the fetal membrane to the uterus wall also shields the cervix from mechanical load. And we also know that the composite material properties of the cervix itself helps keep the cervix closed during pregnancy. I guess that's it. Thank you so much. If you want to find out more about the work that Kristen is doing, check out the link in the show notes for this episode or visit thelowdown.alumni.columbia.edu. This podcast was produced by the Columbia Alumni Association with editing by Matt Lenz and music by Poddington Bear. Columbia University is a mecca of great ideas in one of the world's greatest cities, and with more than 330,000 Columbia alumni who are leaders in every field imaginable and spread across the world, the Columbia Alumni Association brings you the latest musings, updates, and insights from Columbia University. Learn more about the Columbia Alumni Association at alumni.columbia.edu.